when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpha and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she'd been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your own mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and they said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband, and even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. And at that point, they wept aloud again. Then Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. All right. Well, good morning. So glad to be with you in worship today. I'm Pastor Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Church. And uh, we are deep into the story. Uh, we are already on week nine of looking at the story, trying to examine this biblical story uh, throughout uh, its, its impact over three summers particularly. And this is the last Sunday that we are going to be examining the story until next summer. We will pick it up right where we left off. And the way we've been trying to do this is that we hope by examining the biblical story, by looking at, at trying to understand who God is on a big picture, 
understanding on how God works and who is he, what kind of character does God have. We see that through the biblical stories and biblical characters. By understanding those two elements, we can then apply it to our own lives. And today we are going to be wrapping up the story by looking at Ruth. Anyone here named Ruth? I put a plug in to name my little one Ruth, but it didn't go very far. So I like the name Ruth because I love this story because it's so good. This is a fantastic biblical story. Ruth is considered a short story. It's a novella. Uh, It is a, a marvelous work of literature that is in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible. So if you do have your Bibles out and you want to bring them out, otherwise you've got your half sheet or if you've got your apps and you want to bring it out, we are going to be in the book of Ruth. Uh, but I'll be honest, we're going to be moving pretty fast. So you can start off, though, by turning to Ruth, if you will. Uh, otherwise, you can look on the screens. We're going to start off by showing you and examining where Ruth starts. The story of Ruth, the book of Ruth, begins in actually not the coolest, greatest, most awesome spot. It's kind of a tough opening. Let me tell you about it. In Ruth 1, it opens like this, in the days when the judges ruled. Now, uh, any of you here last week remember the judges? Okay, so here you go, test. Uh, Was this like on the highlight reel of our faith, the time of the judges? Not so much, right? I mean, the time that the judges ruled was kind of like a really difficult time. It was a, a time of war. It was a time of conflict. It was a time of downward spirals, if you remember that from last week. It's a time where over and over again we see God's people messing up and fighting other people and even fighting among themselves. The book of Ruth starts by reminding us, contextualizing for us, saying, look, this story starts at a dark point in history. And then worse yet, you keep going, yeah, there's a famine in the land. Not only is it during the time of Judges, but there is a famine that has swept over the land. And so provision is not there. People are hungry. People are needy. And so now you have a dark time that's gotten even darker. And so this one particular family, Elimelech's family, is a good Jewish Israel family, makes the decision to leave because of the famine, because of all the war and conflict, and move to the country of Moab. Moab. And so Elimelech takes his wife, Naomi, they go there, and he brings his kids. And what do you know, after a short time, Elimelech dies. Worse yet, his two sons who've married some locals, yeah, they die too. So the start of the story does not really start with butterflies and rainbows. It starts pretty bleak. The context of Ruth is a dark one and a difficult one. Here's a picture of where Moab is. Ancient Moab was located. What has happened is there is judges, war, conflict over here. And now there's a famine. And this one family actually goes backwards into the land of Moab. Before that, the people of God had come up from the south. They had fought the people of Moab, traveled through and crossed the Jordan River, and now this is where they were living. This particular family is going 
backwards. Things have gotten so bad, they're going backwards into the land of Moab. They are foreigners now, living in hostile territory. There is famine in the land. And once they get there, the patriarch dies. Shortly thereafter, his two sons die. If you had a look at how this plot, how this story is beginning, it's pretty bleak. There's chaos and famine. They try to escape it by running to a hostile environment, and they're met with death. Then we get our characters of Naomi and Ruth. Naomi is uh, Elimelech's wife. She is mother-in-law to Ruth. She's from Israel, but Ruth herself is from the local land. She's a local gal, and so she's from Moab. She's a Moabite. And Ruth had married one of the sons who's now died. Naomi and Ruth are looking at each other, and they're like, Oh my gosh, our lives are filled with grief and pain and tragedy. This is terrible. Let's pack things up and move back. Because maybe if we move back, something will happen. There'll be a glimmer of hope. Probably not. Probably going back just to die. But at least if I die, if I'm Naomi, I die among my own people. This is the start of Ruth. What do you think so far? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this is tough stuff. Naomi packs up. Ruth is so loyal, she says, I'll go with you. I'm not going to leave you, Mom. Mothers-in-law, you should remember this story. (laughs) Ruth says, I won't leave you. I won't ever leave your side, I will travel with you. And so Naomi and Ruth head back to Israel. Now, as they're going along to Israel, they're pretty, they're pretty desperate. They're pretty poor. They have no money and they have no food. And remember, there's been a famine in the land, right? And so back in that culture and back in that day, if you were poor and you were destitute, what you could do is you could go to a farm, you could go to farmland, and when the farmer harvests his barley and his grain and his wheat, you could walk the fields looking for leftovers. I love leftovers. I'm an expert at this, and it's biblical. I didn't even know it until I spent time with the Bible. I go into the fridge, and I'm scoping for leftovers. It's biblical, right? Because that's what she's doing. What happens is Naomi and Ruth are poor and destitute. And so they get, they get together and say, we need to go to a farm and start looking for some leftovers. And hopefully, we'll scrounge together enough food for the two of us that we can make a couple meals. So Ruth sets out to find a farm. And as it happened, it just so happened, by sheer coincidence, that she came to a field, to the part of a field belonging to Boaz. Everybody say Boaz. It's just cool to say. It's just cool to say Boaz. Ruth comes to Boaz the farmer's farm. And she starts looking for leftovers. Well, what's this about Boaz, though? Boaz was of the family of Elimelech. Boaz is a distant relative for Naomi and Ruth. And so the farmer Boaz 
is related to, possibly could care for, but we're getting too far down the story already. We've got to back up. They've come to a field, and it's a relative's field. Well, just then, it just so happened, by sheer coincidence and chance, Boaz comes back from Bethlehem. Boaz is walking and he's coming to his farm to take care and tend to his farm. He walks up to those that he has employed, he's hired hands, and he says, Hey guys, how's the harvest going? We're bringing in a lot of good stuff, I see. Oh, did I mention he has a harvest? He just so happens, by sheer coincidence and chance, to have a harvest during a famine. So Ruth has stumbled upon Boaz's farm as Boaz just so happens to be coming back from Bethlehem, and his farm is actually producing crops. And Boaz shows up and he says, who's that girl over there? You see, he's able to single out out of all the people working in his field. It just so happens that he notices Ruth. And they say, we don't know. You should go find out. So he does that. He goes over and he introduces himself to Ruth. He says, hi, I'm Boaz. What's your name? And they get to know one another. And Ruth shares with him that they're desperate and that her and her mother have come from a foreign land. And, and Boaz's reaction to this is, oh my gosh, don't take just the leftovers. Let me respond by giving to you a provision. And so he already begins to provide for them bushels, not just the leftovers she finds on the ground. He actually gives her out of generosity bushels to bring back to Naomi. A couple things you need to know that are hidden in the text about Boaz. Boaz as a relative, Boaz as a farmer, has a special special station. He's what we call a family redeemer. A family redeemer in that culture. What a family redeemer is, is back in that day, if you fall on hard times, if you are in a situation where you have a physical ailment that comes up, if something, you struggle in the court system, you have a husband who dies and now you're a widow, the family redeemer was actually spiritually and legally responsible. You were culturally responsible to take that person who is in need of help into your home. If it's a widow, you would remarry. And they would become part of your family and you would provide for them so as to make sure that they don't go on being desperate and needy. Boaz just so happens to be the family redeemer for Naomi. Boaz has the station and responsibility of stepping into Naomi's life and saying, I will take care of you. I will provide for you. Come live in my home. Ruth goes home. Ruth meets with Naomi and says, Yeah, I met this really nice guy named Boaz. You know him? Ever heard of him? And she gets very excited very quickly, as you can imagine. Naomi knows exactly who Boaz is. She knows exactly what his station is. And so she gets very excited very quickly. There's got to be tears and and the, the, the moment, you know what I'm talking about, the moment when she realizes. And so she sits down with Ruth and says, Ruth, 
we, we, we got to make this work. This is our chance. This is our moment. Up till now, we have only experienced grief and tragedy and pain. And yet in this moment, in this time, we have a glimmer of hope. Boaz. So Ruth, here's the plan. First off, you need a bath, Ruth. Second off, we're going to get you some perfume. Third, we're going to time this so that when you go back and spend some time with Boaz, he's in a good place. He's got a full stomach. He's had a great night. He's had a lot of fun. Maybe had a couple brewskis. And he's settling down for the night. And we're going to send you in all nice and sneaky, kind of quiet. And you can have a nice conversation uh, with Boaz. You get where I'm tracking here, guys? Okay, adults? Yeah? All right. So, this is what takes place. Ruth cleans up. Ruth spends the night with Boaz. And coming out of that experience the next morning, Boaz in his groggy state is waking up and looks over and says, Wow, who's this beautiful woman next to me? And Ruth says, I'm your next wife. Do you want to marry me? How romantic. He says, Yes! He says, yes, Boaz says, yes, I will marry you, Ruth. I will take care of you. I will bring you into my home. I will take care of you and your mother-in-law, Naomi. And so Boaz welcomes Ruth and Naomi into his life. The way the story ends is with this marriage and even a baby. Ruth and Boaz are able to bring about Obed. Obed is this little baby. It's kind of ironic. It's interesting. It just so happens that Ruth had not produced the son the 10 years she was married previously. But now, shortly after she's married to Boaz, comes Obed. And what's particularly cool about Obed, the story shows us at the very end a genealogy of King David. You guys heard of King David before? Some of you have heard about him. We're going to learn a lot about him next summer, particularly. King David is a famous king for the Israelites. Obed is grandfather to King David. You see, this this short story, this book of Ruth, is packed with meaning and themes, and and, and it wants to communicate to you and me by the way that it is structured, by the language and words that it uses, some very insightful and particular truths. It wants you and I to understand some majorly important principles about God the world we live in, and ourselves. And it does that by setting up this tragedy in the beginning and ending with this promise of the coming King David. Let's talk about a couple themes. There are three distinct themes that the book of Ruth has that I want to lift up for you this morning. Each of these themes are going to speak to you differently. Uh, you might not register with one or two of the themes, but one theme might strike you, strike you quite deeply. These are the three dominant themes that scholars associate with the book of Ruth. There are a lot of other themes in the book of Ruth. These are kind of the big three. 
You ready for the big three? It's rock and roll. Here we go. You never knew this about the book of Ruth. But here is your thematic summary of what the book of Ruth wants you and I to understand. First off, God moves behind the scenes in unlikely people to bring death to a place of life. I'm going to ask you to read this with me word for word on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. God moves behind the scenes in unlikely people to bring death to life. That is correct. Here we go. God moves behind the scenes. In the book of Ruth, God doesn't speak out of any thunderclouds. In fact, in the book of Ruth, God is barely even mentioned. God doesn't speak. The narrator doesn't talk about God. The only times God is mentioned is in passing, as Boaz says, the Lord bless you. That's it. And yet, if you look at the book of Ruth, there seem to be a lot of coincidences. Did you notice that? I mean, it just so happened. It just so happened that she stumbled into the right field. Oh, and by the way, that field just so happened to, 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 to be Boaz. Boaz is just so happening to come back from Bethlehem. And it just so happens that Boaz is the family redeemer. You get the picture? You see, the book of Ruth is wanting you and I to understand. Sometimes, God is moving behind the scenes in ways that we can't see. There is no moment in Ruth where God speaks out of a cloud or out of a burning bush. And yet we can see when we look at the story of Ruth, God is working. God is a part of the book of Ruth. Sometimes in our own lives, don't we look around and say, God, where are you? God, I can't see you. God, I can't hear you. God, come on, give me a sign. How many of us have said that before? Yeah, like all of us, right? Give me a sign. Talk to me. Speak to me. Let me know you're there. And we, and we want like a lightning bolt. We want the burning bush. The book of Ruth teaches you and I that even when you cannot see and cannot feel God working, when you find yourself in tragedy and difficulty and you are looking around and saying, God, where are you? The book of Ruth teaches us God is working behind the scenes. He has not left you. He has not abandoned you. He is quite close, in fact. He is working behind the scenes. He works sometimes behind the scenes in less overt ways and typically often on larger timelines than we're accustomed to. We often forget God's hand is moving unseen and on a bigger timeline. This is one of the huge pieces that we wrestle with, is it not? And yet the book of Ruth teaches and preaches to you and I, God is working in your life. 
God is working in your life even when you can't see Him. He's there working. You say, Pastor Andrew, no, 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 no. See, not me. Maybe some other people's lives, but not my life. You know, I know that God's not working in my life. I'm just, he can't be working in my life. There's no way that he's working in my life. I mean, come on. I look in the mirror and I know what my past is like. I know my history. I know the kind of life that I have led, the kind of life I'm leading. There's no way God's actually, even behind the scenes, working in my life. Good news. Guess what else Ruth teaches us? God works in the lives of unlikely people. Ruth is a Moabite. Moabites are not part of the Israelite people. In fact, they're at war with the Israelite people. They're a foreign nation that has a history of conflict with God's own people. And worse yet, if you go back and look at Moabites' history you're going to find out the Moabites all the way back when started through an incestuous relationship. Moabites are the nasty, backwater, foreigner, incestuous guys across the river. We don't want anything to do with them. They're on the outside. And yet God raises up a Moabite, Ruth, and he works in her life. See, God works in the lives of unlikely people. People who have difficult pasts, people who have baggage and history. He works in the lives of unlikely people like Ruth, like me, and like you. God works behind the scenes, often in people who don't even think they're worthy of it. Yet Ruth shows and displays to you and me, God is indeed working in your life. Even when you feel unworthy and unlikely, those are the kind of people God specializes in. If you're a Moabite this morning, you have Ruth as an example, as a testimony. God is working in your life. And if we look at the whole, God works behind the scenes in unlikely people to bring them from death to life. If you look at the story as a whole, there is a clear movement. The story begins with tragedy, pain, and hurt. And yet he brings Naomi and Ruth through these experiences, and at the end it ends with a birth, it ends with celebration and joy. It tells us and teaches us how God moves us. How is he working in our lives? God is working in your life to move you from tragedy and pain and grief and loss, emptiness and famine, to hope, to gratitude, to generosity and thankfulness, 
to celebration and life. God is working in your life. He is working in each of our lives to move us from death to life. Specifically in this story, they start with famine. They end with Boaz's full fields. They start with Elimelech's death and the death of his sons. It ends with Obed's birth. And finally, it starts with the chaos of the times, judges. And it ends with the genealogy of David, King David, who forecasts Christ. Jesus Christ himself is intertwined in this story and book. The book of Ruth is this complex and beautiful story that reflects and teaches us about our own complex and beautiful stories. It teaches us in, that, that we can understand God is working in your life. In your life. Even when you feel unlikely and unworthy. He is working behind the scenes in your life. And as He works, He does so to bring your life from tragedy and difficulty and challenge to hope, to a future, to a coming King, to life everlasting. I have so enjoyed spending time with you looking this summer at the story because these stories, these biblical stories, God isn't done writing the story yet. He is continuing to write your story. The God who is involved in Ruth's story is still writing yours. As we continue off into our days, as we continue off into other sermons and other series, it's going to be great to come back to this next summer. My encouragement to you, though, remember the biblical stories that we have seen this summer. And remember how the same God is working and active in your story, in your life. Amen. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you would work in and through Ruth and her story to speak to us today. That you would use the circumstances and difficulties that she faced to show us how you are so clearly a part of the ongoings of this world and our lives. Thank you that you would use us, unlikely people, to bring about your kingdom and your will. Thank you that you would work in such a way to bring us from death and pain and hurt to joy, celebration, and life. We pray that the story that you are continuing to write would bring you glory and honor. 
We pray that our individual stories would reflect your goodness and grace in this world. Thank you for the stories of the past and the promise of stories yet to be written. We turn our stories over to you. It's in your name, Jesus, that we do indeed pray. Amen.